Welcome to Gravity, a podcast on the environment and human rights issues from the local to the global. The Amazon is often referred to as the heart and lungs of our planet. It is the world's largest rainforest and is home to over 3 million species. The Amazon River is the second longest in the world and the largest in volume. Around 20% of the world's fresh water runs through the Amazon's hydrological cycle. The Amazon plays a pivotal role in our global climate, including because it is a massive carbon sink, storing around 123 billion tonnes of carbon. Yet the Amazon is fast disappearing and deforestation may turn the Amazon from a carbon sink into a carbon source. The Amazon stretches across nine states, but 60% of it lies within the borders of Brazil. Rampant deforestation in Brazil already accounts for over half of Brazil's emissions. Brazilian deforestation is driven and supported by world markets and extractive industries and for soy, palm oil, wood and beef, with cattle ranching being the most predominant cause of deforestation. It's intrinsically violent. It's not just destroying this globally important and climate critical biome, but local communities, including indigenous communities. According to Global Witness, which tracks intimidation and violence against and murder of environmental defenders around the world, Brazil was the most dangerous place for environmental defenders to be in the past decade, particularly for indigenous peoples. Land grabbing through fraud and systemic violence, including harassment, kidnapping, torture and murder, are part and parcel of Amazonian deforestation, particularly as Bolsonaro engendered a culture of impunity. Bolsonaro eviscerated the budgets of Brazil's environmental agencies, impeding them from enforcing Brazil's comprehensive environmental laws and encouraged land grabbing through his vitriol, including statements that were actively and explicitly hostile towards indigenous peoples. His actions are tantamount to ecocide, crimes against humanity and genocide. Lula is now back in office, but unfortunately, the violence continues. The agribusinesses that are directly supporting and profiting from this violence and environmental destruction sell their products in the world market. And we must ensure that we enact laws that require businesses to conduct due diligence across the supply chains. Amazonian destruction and its attendant violence is also being bankrolled by our financial institutions, including our central banks. The US Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank and the Bank of England have all undertaken asset purchase programs in which they've bought corporate bonds from businesses that are directly and heavily involved in the environmental destruction and violent land grabbing in Brazil. Fortunately, some laws requiring due diligence and accountability may soon be enacted, including the Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive in the EU, the Due Diligence Amendment to the Financial Services and Market Bill in the UK, and the Fostering Overseas Rule of Law and Environmentally Sound Trade or Forest Act here in the US. The Forest Act would prohibit importation of products derived from illegal deforestation, impose criminal liability, and establish conservation and technical assistance funds. We need to enact these laws, we need to enact more of these laws, and we need to establish more of these conservation funds. Governments throughout the North must address the complicity in Amazonian and other deforestation, including by enacting laws to hold their corporations and financial institutions accountable for the support they provide for and profit they derive from illegal deforestation. 
As most of the remaining old-growth forest lies within the global south, the global north cannot simply proclaim these biomes as global commons without taking financial responsibility for their preservation, or it risks reproducing a neo-colonial narrative, and we must establish and distribute forestry preservation funds, including for the Amazon. We must protect environmental defenders from increasing threats and violence, and in particular, indigenous communities who are disproportionately targeted. They are the traditional custodians of much of the remaining biodiverse and pristine old-growth forests that our planet relies on, including in the Amazon. We must ensure that their cultures are allowed to thrive, their lands are protected, and that they provide advanced, prior, and informed consent to any industry on their land. For over 30 years, Global Witness has been exposing the noxious nexus between environmental destruction, conflict and human rights abuse, and has advocated for laws that protect the environment and environmental defenders, including corporate accountability laws. Global Witness has extensively reported on environmental destruction and violent land grabbing and the drivers and financiers of this Stygian Amazonian destruction. I recently spoke to Gabriela Bianchini, Senior Advisor at Global Witness, on these issues and more. Welcome to Gravity, Gabriella. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's really nice to be here. Thank you for the invitation. So the Amazon is the world's largest rainforest and it's home to over 3 million species with, I think, just 2,500 different species of trees alone. It's called the heart and the lungs of our planet. It's important to our climate. And it's also a massive carbon sink. It stores about 123 billion tons of carbon, yet it might turn into a carbon source because deforestation releases carbon. And I think currently Brazil, which holds 60% of the forest, uh, 50% of Brazil's emissions are from deforestation currently. So may you please tell our audience in more detail about the importance of the Amazon to our planet, including its importance to our climate and the current state of deforestation and loss of biodiversity, particularly with respect to Brazil. Absolutely. Thank you so much for introducing. Um, as you're saying, yeah, the Amazon is the largest forest in the world, and um, it's actually roughly the size of 48 contigu contiguous United States, so it's it's quite, quite large. And the Amazon is one of Earth's most precious ecosystems um, and has a critical role um, to play in counteracting global climate emergency. Uh, this rainforest is key to protect Earth from detrimental effects of climate change. Because um, with so many trees covering such an enormous uh, piece of land, everything the forest does <laughs> is big and impactful. So just to give you some examples, the Amazon makes its own weather, generating some of its rainfall and keeping itself cool, while also stabilizing regional temperatures. Adding to that, um, the globs of greenhouse gas that its biomass stores, and um, you've got a natural climate protector. So um, this, is, this is quite huge. Um, but yet we are dismantling this valuable landscape, as you are aware, uh, which aggravates climate change in several ways. Unfortunately, uh, close to 20% of the Amazon has been destroyed over the past 50 years, and about 18% only in Brazil. 
it's interesting to 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 mention that some scientists say that the tipping point or the point at which the forest's tropical climate dries out is between 20 and 25% deforestation. So Amazon is almost there, which is really impressive and, and, and quite frightening as well. So, I mean, one might ask, how have we arrived at this point? And I think we could go, if you agree, we could go through a very brief timeline of Brazilian history. And I can tell you a little bit of how um, Brazilian Amazon has been deforested over the years and what incentivized all this destruction. Yes, if you could please start um, with the military junta that took over in 1964, I believe they uh, encouraged and incentivized migration, agriculture and deforesting in the Amazon. And then uh, under Bolsonaro, how he intensified the deforestation and currently what's happening with Lula. Great. So, yeah, large, as you're saying, large-scale deforestation of the Brazilian Amazon began in the 1960s when the government started to incentivize the clearance of land for production. Uh, and between 1960s and 2010, uh, the population grew from 6 million to 25 million as many people migrated to the Amazon to explore the land and find fortune, etc. So I wanted actually to start a little bit before the military dictatorship in the late 50s, uh, when Presidente uh, Juscelino Kubitschek moved Brazil's capital from Rio de Janeiro to Brasilia to integrate the industrial southeast with um, the resource-rich regions such as the Amazon, so the north of Brazil. Uh, during his term, almost uh, 2,000 kilometers, which is roughly 1,200 miles, a highway has been uh, built between Brasilia and Belém. Belém is the capital of Pará, one of the most important Amazonian states in Brazil. And it linked the capital to the interior of the forest. Within 10 years, the population living along the highway grew from 100,000 to more than 2 million. So it all started with this big infrastructure projects. And then in 1964, uh, the military dictatorship took over. Um, concerned that a large place of Brazil was uh, sparsely populated, um, it, which left the territory, and this is their narrative, um, vulnerable to foreign invasion and domestic insurgency, the generals encouraged mass migration to the Amazon. So the government actually offered subsidized credit and tax incentives for both smallholder settlers and large-scale farmers and ranchers to clear land. Uh, during this period, the military also started to build a 4,000 kilometers, roughly 2,000 500 mile long highway through the heart of the rainforest. It's called Transamazonica Highway. Um, hundreds of thousands of people moved into the forest to claim subsidized plots of land. And this became the longest highway in Brazil. It crosses the, the entire forest. Um, so these incentives, um, mainly coming from the dictatorship, um, radically changed how we dealt with uh, the Amazon and the protection of the forest. And in the um, 
1970s to the 1980s, the pace of deforestation escalated as agriculture's subsidies and infrastructure projects, such as these highways that I just mentioned, dams and mines, uh, draw workers and industry into the rainforest. After 20 years, when dictatorship ended in 1985, um, Brazil signed a new constitution only three years after, so in 1988. Um, the constitution was is quite progressive and it established that both property rights and economic order must be consistent with the protection of the environment. And it also ensures indigenous groups' rights to their traditional lands, which is quite great. It didn't exist before in, under Brazilian legislation. And after that, some legislative changes came, such as the environmental criminal law. We can speak more about that later, if you wish. And in 1992, for example, uh, world leaders convened in Rio to address environmental concerns, including climate change and deforestation. Uh, this conference produced the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, uh, which is an international treaty in which signatories have to agree to cooperate uh, to combat climate change. So we've seen that after dictatorship, although deforestation uh, levels didn't drop so much, there has been an increase in different legislations to protect the environment. Unfortunately, as I was saying, deforestation continued very high. But during 2003 and 2016, we actually had more progressive governments. Lula's and Dilma's governments uh, that were concerned with the protection of the Amazon and were bringing these discussions to Brazilian Congress and international forums were really important to tackle this key issue. Um, as a reminder, at the Copenhagen Climate Summit, I don't know uh, if you remember that, but Lula announced uh, Brazil's recent successes in reducing deforestation. Uh, he made a very uh, great speech and also called on something that I believe is really important. Um, on, he called on developed countries to pay Brazil to continue its efforts. And this call um, is actually came months after he established the Amazon Fund, which is a really important fund, and it had been um, stopped uh, it, during Bolsonaro's government, as I'm going to, to tell you all about soon. Um, so through this strict enforcement of environmental laws, and thanks to an action plan called the Action Plan for the Prevention and Control of Deforestation in the Legal Amazon, the deforestation was reduced by 70 to 80 percent from 2003 to 2010, which is a pretty uh, amazing rate, honestly. But in 2019, Bolsonaro started his term. And I say unfortunately because the past four years were extremely difficult for our democracy and human rights in general. Um, but I have to say that Bolsonaro's actions or inactions, to be more accurate, uh, to protect the environment and the lives of land and environmental defenders can be considered, um, at least in my view, uh, a special catastrophe. Um, the Brazilian government during this time suspended the Amazon Fund, established, prevent uh, and combat deforestation, 
Um, so countries like Norway and Germany hold back more than 72 million in financing, which is terrible. Uh, Bolsonaro scaled back enforcement of environmental laws, pushed to open indigenous land to commercial exploitation and weakened uh, existing environmental protections. Uh, Brazil's Congress uh, at the time uh, considered bills that would legitimize illegal mining and erode protections for indigenous territories and deforestation levels increased. And again, in 2021, um, a coalition of indigenous rights ended up petitioning in the International Criminal Court to investigate Bolsonaro for alleged crimes against humanity and genocide. So during Bolsonaro's uh, term, um, environment was not a priority, um, to be very blunt. And the lives of those who were defending the forest were also not um, in the agenda of, of the federal government. Just to clarify, even though Brazil has a pretty comprehensive framework for environmental protection, it has um, an environmental criminal law where you can prosecute both individuals and corporations. I believe the forestry code requires private landowners in the Amazon to maintain 80% of their property as a natural reserve. And so it seems that it has quite good protections, but that Bolsonaro eviscerated the executive agencies that were meant to uh, enforce these laws and also to manage these areas. And that, um, as you were saying, he committed crimes against humanity. There's currently a complaint at the ICC and that he engendered a culture of impunity and oppression. Are we seeing a difference under Lula? Because Lula seemed to have a much better, I mean, apart from, I guess, the Belmonte Dam, he seems to have far better environmental record. And you said he cut deforestation quite significantly. Yeah, exactly. So as I was saying in his best term, you were completely right about everything you just said and summarized. This is exactly what happened under Bolsonaro. Um, and as I was saying, Lula, Lula um, during his first term, first and second term, actually, um, he managed to drop the levels of, of the first station in the Amazon uh, in an impressive manner. Um, and this year, Lula started his new term, so everyone has really high expectations. Um, but it's, it's important to bear in mind that this new government will certainly have to spend time to rebuild what has been dismantled. Um, it will be a, a very hard battle, uh, in my view. Also because Brazil's new right-leading Congress um, is likely to make life more difficult for the current government. Uh, just for ex a few weeks ago, for instance, uh, the majority of the Congress lower chamber, called the deputy chamber here, voted to restrict indigenous land advances. Um, and this bill uh, introduces a time frame to create indigenous territories, reduces the area of indigenous lands and opens indigenous areas to mining and infrastructure projects, among other changes. And it's, it's a really terrible legislation for indigenous peoples who have been protesting for the past years, but most in, more intensively uh, for the past month. Um, it still has to go through Senate for voting, uh, but this shows some one of the challenges that Lula will have to face. 
Apart from that, there are some recent, recent studies that show that deforestation in Brazil has continued to rise um, in 2023, which demonstrates how difficult it will be for President Lula to halt the problems that surged under the former government. So in my view, civil society will have to wait to see um, how the government will behave and obviously continue pressuring the government and Congress mostly to see some concrete changes. Right. And does Lula have an issue as well? Because uh, I believe a lot of governors and uh, members of Congress are Bolsonaristas. And so he <laughs> might not have as many allies as we would hope. Or am I wrong? No, you're right. Um, it will be very hard for Lula to um, to to go through with his policies and projects um, and the promises that he's made before he was uh, he, he got elected, because we now have a, a what we we can say a, a right wing or a right leaning Congress, uh, which will make uh, the life of government a difficult one. But going um, in more detail into uh, the type of deforestation that we're seeing, it seems that it requires a lot of uh, financing, a lot of logistics uh, to effectuate what's the ecocide that's actually happening. Um, can you tell us in more detail whether the deforestation that's happening, whether it's illegal and whether um, there seems to be organized criminal networks that are benefiting from this and providing logistical support for this uh, deforestation? Yeah, so, I mean, in summary, the Amazon and its inhabitants are under threat uh, because deforestation is driven by different sectors. And the most important ones are cattle ranching, mining, lodging, and some other extractivist um, activities um, and also we can include oil spills that is contaminating the rivers and impacting all local systems. Um, actually economic incentives to clear land are the main reason why deforestation levels continue to grow despite some advances in uh, environmental protection uh, legislations. Economic growth is the common excuse used by policymakers who argue against restrictions on exploitation of the Amazon. Um, and some of these activities are legal and some of them are illegal. For instance, most lodging in the Amazon is illegal. Uh, lodgers, they make around 490 million uh, in illicit profits. Um, and this was uh, a study made between 2008 and 2015 um, by Greenpeace. Uh, when land is cleared, lodgers typically they remove the value hardwoods first. And once the valuable timber is gone, what remains is um, often burned. So no land um, exists anymore after um, lodging exploration. And of course, ranching is uh, in some areas legal, uh, but we can see that there are um, very often cases of land grabbing and um, illegal deforestation for, for cattle ranches purposes. And this is something we have been um, investigating for quite a while now. 
I'd like to discuss uh, cattle ranching and its impact in the Amazon and uh, the people that live there in more detail. So I do know that Global Witness has investigated this extensively. And also there's a short film, The Landless, um, where we see uh, the people that are threatened uh, and not just threatened and intimidated, but there's uh, actual act of um, violence and it seems continual acts of violence against uh, these communities in the state of Pará next to the rainforest and that this dirty work is by desperate people that are also poor and in need of a better life and they're doing this frontier work but they're actually doing the dirty business of large agribusinesses that are profiting from this including JBS, which is a big beef producer in Brazil. Is this correct that agribusiness is directly involved in causing uh, violence, intimidation and threats to communities that are near the rainforest in order to push them out? Yeah, that's completely right. That's completely right, Alexandra. So we say that as guardians of the forest, land and environmental defenders, they are on the front line of the Amazon um, exploration. Um, they face really dangerous companies acting with impunity, ruthless state security forces, and contracted killers. Um, they give their lives to protect their homes, I mean, livelihoods, and actually the health of our planet. Um, so they stand up against this very powerful agribusiness, mining, and lodging interests, and they are systematically intimidated, criminalized, attacked, and murdered. So every year, defenders uh, of this biome, uh, this actual, actually priceless biome, pay with their lives for protecting their home from destruction. Um, Global Witness works on different investigations and advocacy strategies, uh, as you were saying, to achieve climate justice and safeguard civic freedoms. And for the past years, uh, the organization has published very important reports that show how irresponsible business, including financial institutions, are driving the destruction of climate critical tropical forests and the communities and biodiversity that rely on them. And that more land and environmental defenders than ever are being killed while others are threatened, criminalized and attacked despite playing a crucial role in protecting their land and our climate against this destructive business practice, as I was saying. So one example of um, a recently published investigative work connected to Brazil um, is Beef's Banks and the Brazilian Amazon. In this report, Global Witness revealed that a chain of actors from cattle ranchers through multinational beef traders, international financiers, supermarkets, and fast food chains, and the governments that regulate them are either destroying rainforests or are complicit to uh, the destruction of the Amazon, uh, with flawless audits undertaken by US and European auditors. So um, we evidenced that major Brazilian meat traders as JBS, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, Marfreak and Minerva, are failing to uh, remove vast uh, places of uh, deforested Amazon land from their supply chains, which 
flood audits by DNV, GL, and Green Thornton uh, did not identify before, which is quite problematic. And while big banks like Barclays, Morgan Stanley, and Santander continue backing these meat traders, despite many warnings of their failures. Um, and we also found a connection between this um, illegal deforestation to well-known high street stores and brands like Burger King, Sainsbury, Subway, McDonald's, Walmart, Carrefour, and Nestle, uh, and also who are recent customers from them. Um, so out of this investigative work, has been produced a documentary, The Landless, uh, that you um, that you mentioned. It is indeed a very, very beautiful documentary, and it tells the story of a very brave and resilient community who have been forci forcibly removed from their land by cattle ranchers, faced with attacks and threats by those encroaching their land. And this community is actually fighting to protect their livelihoods and indigenous and other traditional communities' lands. Um, this documentary, in my view, Alexandra, is a reminder of what's at stake when huge swatches of the climate-critical Amazon forests continue to be deforested at an accelerated rate, and how it impacts the lives of countless communities as they come under increased threat. It's a heartbreaking uh, video to watch and also very insightful. Uh, a member of the community featured in that film, I believe, says that beef that Europeans are eating causes the lives of farmers in Pará and is stained with human blood. And there's another heartbreaking documentary, another short documentary by Global Witness, as well as attendant reports about land grabbing with respect to um, deforesting and taking people's land for large palm oil uh, production in the same region, in the same state, Pada, turning life-sustaining biodiverse rainforests to morbid monocultures that support ill health for everybody around the world. There appears to be constant and actually escalating conflict between palm oil businesses and um, the local communities, the Campesino, the indigenous communities, the Quilombola communities. It seems that two of Brazil's biggest producers of um, palm oil, Agropalma and BBF, are directly supporting uh, violence, intimidation, and uh, fraudulent land grabs from uh, local and indigenous communities there. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. You're you're right. Um, this documentary is called Amazon Palm, and is also uh, um, a result of one of our investigations that has been published uh, last year. And through this investigation, we revealed actually that major international uh, household brands, including Hershey's, Kellogg, Nestle, and PepsiCo, and big commodity traders such as Cargill, source palm oil from this region in Pará, despite their suppliers' links to violence, torture, and land fraud. Um, so we highlight in our report uh, the need for immediate action from international companies sourcing palm oil from Brazil biofuels and agropalma, and from policymakers in the European Union and the US to, to stop severe human rights and land rights abuses against indigenous quilombolas and other communities who traditionally live in the palm oil plantation areas. 
Um, actually, after the publication of our report, several brands, including Cargill, Hershey's, Nestle, and Kellogg, suspended purchases from BBF, which is a really good behavior from these companies. And the roundtables for sustainable palm oil, which is a certification uh, that is given to palm oil producers, it's an international certification that is given to palm oil producers, has also suspended Agropalma's certification. Um, and I could mention several um, findings that we have presented in, in our report, but um, after interviewing hundreds of indigenous quilombolas and other traditional communities members, um, but BBF is accused of waging violent campaigns to silence indigenous and traditional communities defending their ancestral lands, while Agropalma are linked to fraudulent land grabs and stranding or evicting communities. It's a very difficult and very sad scenario for these communities, I have to say. Um, both of these companies, they have acquired these lands to grow very profitable palm crops, which the communities claim have taken place at the expense of their constitutional rights. Mm. And what is the government doing to protect these people? I know that we discussed on the Bolsonaro nothing because he actually encouraged and incentivized these crimes against humanity, which is exactly what they are. But what's happening now under Lula and also with respect to the local level? Are these crimes being investigated by the police? Are they being prosecuted? Yeah, so on a federal level, uh, there have been some really relevant changes, of course, from Bolsonaro's government to Lula's government. Lula created the Indigenous People's Ministry, which is an incredible advance in comparison to, to Bolsonaro. The Indigenous People's Ministry will be able to take care of land demarcation, of several subjects that are related to the protection of the Amazon and the lives of these individuals. And Lula is also uh, promoting the environmental ministry and other ministries that support, that will support the protection of communities such as these ones in, in Pará, in this uh, palm oil plantation areas. Um, locally, some crimes are under investigation, um, some of them have been prosecuted and the local justice is um, taking a long time, uh, but this is under under consideration. Mm. And the violence is still continuing. Unfortunately, violence still continues. Um, of course, um, giving attention to such problems um, is important. Um, enhancing the voices of the communities who are complaining about these violent attacks is really important because it creates uh, a protection for them against the actions of these this corporations. Uh, but unfortunately, they are still under attack. They still haven't had their land demarcated, most of communities. Um, so the situation is still difficult and 
we are actually in steering contact with local communities to support them and and put them in contact with other local um, organizations who can uh, provide them um, with different types of, of, of support, such as legal support and et cetera. Yeah, I really want to go back to um, the international financing as well as the collaboration that Global Witness does with uh, with local nonprofits on the ground. But before we get into that, I do want to understand more um, about the fraud that's happening as well as the violence. So I understand there's significant fraud occurring. And I'm wondering, how does uh, perhaps the Brazilian land title system allow for this fraud to occur? And what is needed in the sense of amendments to the land title system to mitigate or eliminate this issue with fraud? I think it's more a matter of um, surveillance and monitoring the areas, uh, monitoring um, how lands are uh, registered and making sure that traditional communities have their land demarcated and that their ancestor lands are actually registered under their names. The problem is, uh, under the current um, system, it, it takes a very long time for indigenous peoples to get their land demarcated. Um, and because of this lengthy process, very often settlers um, just invade lands and start occupying and producing. And then once it gets to in front of a justice or it gets to be decided, there are already several settlers uh, producing and living in the area and it makes it much more difficult to to expel them. So um, in my view, it's a, it's a matter of monitoring and surveilling how the land is registered. Mm. And now going back to uh, the the financial institutions, even some that proclaim all these ESG policies, and yet they're um, directly supporting uh, and financing the destruction of the Amazon, and also corporations. You mentioned some actually had good policies when they read the reports from Global Witness that some corporations changed their policies, which is amazing to hear. Uh, of that success. And that's why it's important to get uh, the information out there. But we do need to hold businesses accountable legally for human rights abuses and environmental destruction and ensure that they are undertaking due diligence throughout their whole supply chains. Uh, And of course, particularly when they're pandering to the public, as many of them do now with these fair trade and ESG policies, when they're actually uh, it's, it's, it's perfidious because they're not doing that. Now, the European Parliament has been considering enacting legislation to ensure this accountability is uh, being undertaken through the supply chain. And I believe this would capture not only European corporations, but also any corpora- corporation that is doing business in Europe. So that is within the European market, which would be a great step. Now, even though this is a great step forward, and I know Global Witness has been diligently working to help enact this legislation, what's the current status of the proposed legislation? What are its main benefits and what's uh, possibly lacking in the current draft? Um, so it's it's really important 
that governments um, recognize a lack of rules to hold corporates uh, to account in 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 their jurisdictions. So what you've said is 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 really really important, and <clears throat> we actually have a very relevant um, update uh, on um, the on the new legislation in the European Union called uh, Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence um, Directive or CS Triple D. Um, this month, the European Parliament voted to adopt its position on this new corporate accountability law. Um, and this is a hugely important development as we head into negotiations between the key EU institutions to agree the final text of the law. Um, without a strong position from the parliament, we would have virtually no chance of securing ambitious provisions in the final law. So fortunately, um, the MPs voted to support the new law. And I will give you just a few examples of what has been um, compromised, what was the compromise. So first, um, they will be applying, the legislation will be applying to large companies across all sectors doing business in the EU, as you mentioned, including various financial actors, uh, banks, asset managers, and insurers, for, for example, who um, fought hard to be excluded from the legislation. Uh, it will be requiring companies to conduct due diligence on their human rights, environmental, and climate impacts in their value chains, which is really important as well. Require, we'll be requiring companies to implement Paris-aligned transition plans with mandatory time-bound targets to prevent them kicking the can down the road. <laughs> and uh, the legislation will be requiring companies to carry out meaningful engagement with stakeholders as part of their due diligence, including those who are affected or could be affected. And it will be making it possible to take companies to court in Europe if they cause or contribute to harms, which is quite important as well. So the tax is a political compromise. So it's not without its flaws, but overall, it's a strong proposal and remains uh, the strongest of the three other proposals that are on the table. Uh, and it's really important to mention here the meaningful engagement with stakeholders. This is something uh, that um, for us is really important um, because those who are directly affected have to be consultant and have to be sitting at the, the tables where decisions are being made. Um, so the law could be more detailed on that, uh, but it's really um, great that the European Parliament voted to adopt this um, this text to carry out meaningful engagement with stakeholders. Uh, so Global Witness uh, Corporate Accountability Campaign does an incredible work advocating for mandatory corporate due diligence and liability to be introduced across all sectors. And they have been actively working on this CS Triple D legislation since the beginning, and and they are now going to keep uh, pressuring the EU Parliament to negotiate it in the best way possible. 
That's wonderful to hear. And it's it's really necessary because as you've also uh, mentioned in detail before, that the main reason that we have continued deforestation in the Amazon in particular is because of uh, commercial interests. The, uh, the cattle ranches, the soy plantations, the palm oil plantations, the logging, these are all products that end up uh, in the European market and in other foreign markets, if we don't have the legal requirement for due diligence throughout the supply chain to prohibit this, then we will just see continued deforestation for these very products uh, because people are making and companies are making so much money of it. They're making so much money from um, Amazonian destruction. Exactly. So I wanted to now address environmental defenders and the threats that they face. So Global Witness has tracked uh, environmental defender threats um, and deaths throughout the years. And um, <laughs> unfortunately, the, the numbers um, are shocking, but also I suspect not uh, complete because there would be, there, there's probably more that um, just nobody can account for. Uh, and uh, Brazil seems to be one of the most dangerous places um, to be an environmental defender. And in fact, it's arguably probably the most important place to be one at the same time. And it's no um, no stranger to this in its history. Chico Mendes was murdered for trying to protect the rainforest and stand up for worker and land rights. And it seems to be still an extremely dangerous uh, place with threats, intimidation, violence against environmental defenders. But at the moment... On the federal level, it seems there is going to be enforcement um, and that uh, Lula is looking to protect environmental defenders, but perhaps at the local level, it's still a very dangerous place to be protecting the environment in Brazil, particularly the rainforest. Exactly, exactly. We hope that the federal government is going to be enforcing um, legislation and will be monitoring the situation. But at the local level, it is indeed a very dangerous place to be. Um, as you're saying, for the past 10 years, Global Witness has monitored uh, and reported on killings and threats against land and environmental defenders around the world. And uh, when the organization started reporting these killings uh, was in 2012. And since then, 1,033 defenders have been killed trying to protect their land. It's an insane number. So it's an average of one defender killed approximately every two days over 10 years. Um, and as you're saying, uh, according to our 2022 report, which is uh, the um, 10th anniversary of our report, uh, in the last decade, 374 defenders have been killed in Brazil, making the country the deadliest uh, to be um, for an environmental activist. Around a third of those killed were indigenous or Afro-descendants, and over 85% of killings happened within the Brazilian Amazon. Um, it's really problematic to think how dangerous it is to be a defender and to be um, part of a traditional community in the Amazon and how important it is that these people are there. 
although they are facing all of the threats, they are the ones protecting the forests and they are the ones uh, protecting the climate. Um, these conflicts, they are mostly over land and forest rights, as we were discussing over territory. Um, and it makes it so important that these discussions are brought to Congress, are brought to the federal government. So uh, we avoid legislations such as uh, the one that has been just approved by the Congress lower chamber to pass. I'd like to talk in more detail about Indigenous communities and their struggle, particularly in Amazonia, in Brazil. So the Indigenous communities around the world, as you just said, Gabriela, bear a disproportionate burden of uh, environmental defence and uh, they are the traditional and the current custodians of some of the most biodiverse and pristine lands and therefore they are threatened with violence, intimidation, um, and, and bear that disproportionate burden. And it seems that currently there's legislation um, that will uh, make it even harder to demarcate Indigenous lands. But I thought, and correct me if I'm wrong, that demarcation of Indigenous lands and their protection was entrenched in the 1988 constitution. So is it possible that this current law might be unconstitutional and there might be a case in the courts? soon about that? Or um, are there other activities that are going on to stop this law and protect um, Indigenous communities in Brazil? If you could just tell us in more detail about the current struggle of Indigenous communities. Yes. Um, so the um, the legislation um, is uh, under evaluation by the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has, has accepted a case uh, to um, to decide whether the legislation is or is not unconstitutional. But while the case is um, being um, is in the Supreme Court, um, it is also being uh, voted by Congress and Senate. So it's a, a process that is walking. Um, the processes are walking alongside each other. One of the Supreme Court justices has uh, decided this month um, that the this legislation shouldn't go forward. Uh, but another justice, justice that has been appointed by Bolsonaro during his term, um, just requested to review the process so to stall or to um, and the process uh, is now suspended until he finalizes his um, review and now the the voting can continue so we will have to wait to see what's going to happen there it's good to hear that the supreme court is reviewing uh, this law and that it might not pass even though it's a little nebulous as to what the outcome might be. But it seems that Indigenous communities have been uh, left to fend for themselves and that some Indigenous communities have started to actively protect their lands because the government has, uh, they're doing the job of the government, right? Because the government's not there to protect them. Exactly. There is a very interesting documentary called The Territory that shows an indigenous uh, community in Hondonia protecting their land and creating their own 
uh, monitoring team, their own group uh, that protects and creates a surveillance mechanism for their territory. So it's it's really interesting to see how indigenous peoples are having to do that. Um, they they shouldn't have to, but they are. I would mention as well an indigenous community called the Kayapo people in the south of the state of Pará in the Amazon who are suffering with illegal miners and they are also acting by themselves, um, expelling illegal miners uh, from their land because according to them, they haven't been heard by local authorities. So they are trying to act, in, to act by themselves. So in a way, history is being repeated hundreds of years later uh, with frontier people and uh, indigenous communities in conflict over um, the rainforest. I'd like now to discuss the Escazú Agreement or the Regional Agreement on Access to Information, Public Participation and Justice in Environmental Matters in Latin America and the Caribbean. Three of the nine Amazonian states have ratified. Brazil has signed, but sadly not yet ratified. Uh, can you tell us more about this agreement, how it would protect the environment and environmental defenders and the likelihood of Brazil ratifying under Lula? Sure. Um, the Escazú Agreement is the first regional environmental and human rights treaty in Latin America and the Caribbean, and the first legally binding instrument in the world to include provisions on the protect protection of land and environmental defenders. Um, most significantly, the agreement requires governments to prevent and investigate attacks against environmental defenders. And the agreement also addresses crucial issues such as access to information, public participations, access to justice, and guaranteeing a safe environment for activists. So it's a very important agreement, and it's very important that countries in Latin America sign and ratify it. Um, as you mentioned, Brazil has signed it, but has not yet ratified. And it's, it's really difficult because at the moment, w during Bolsonaro's government, uh, the agreement, the sign agreement hasn't been sent to Congress for for rectification. And now the agreement has been sent to Congress uh, by Lula's government. But as we were mentioning before, we have a very right wing inclined Congress. So it will be a difficult path. And that's why it's so important that um, civil society, national and international civil society, pressures Congress and pressures society as well to understand how important it is that we sign the Escazú Agreement. It's important that everyone knows what Escazú Agreement is. It's still a very unknown uh, agreement and it has to get out there. Mm, yeah, so it guarantees prior advanced informed consent from Indigenous communities with respect to uh, extractive projects and um, and other commercial enterprises on their land? Yes. And I mean, that is ultra important, right? So, and it's an enforceable agreement. It is. For ratified parties, yes. 
And it is really necessary. In fact, I think the Escazú agreement should be replicated throughout other regions because this agreement is only enforced throughout Latin America and the Caribbean. So it seems like a great agreement that we should replicate because Indigenous communities and environmental defenders and local communities that live uh, around um, old growth forest and rainforest and other areas that still need our protection all throughout the world, right? Not just um, in this region. So I want to now go back to uh, something that you said at the very beginning, and that's that there is an Amazon fund in which countries from the global north uh, can contribute to pay Brazil to retain the rainforest. And I think that's really important because there is a continuing controversy between the Global North and the Global South. Now, the Global South contains most of the world's forests and natural resources, and there is uh, this economic incentive to develop. There is, of course, the history of colonialism, which still needs to be addressed and has not been uh, properly addressed and remedied. And I do believe that the North should continue to pay for uh, the Amazon because it's globally important and the North has used its resources. And so you can see the hypocrisy when the global South says, well, you did this, why can't we do it now? And why should our people not have enough food or electricity? So can you tell us more about the Amazon fund and, um, how it contributes to protecting the Amazonian rainforest. Yes, of course. Um, I'm not a big expert in the Amazon fund, but I, I know how um, I have been following the discussions and I have been following the, the rebuilt of the Amazon fund by uh, Lula's government. And it's, it's as you're saying, it's so crucial that we um, make the Amazon a responsibility of everyone. Uh, because wanting or not, Brazil at the moment depends on the Amazon for several of its uh, production sectors. Um, and we cannot use economic growth or development as an excuse to go against restrictions on exploitation of forests such as the Amazon, a forest that is so important for the entire world. Um, so in my view, I completely agree with you. I think we have to, um, Brazil has to get paid by Global North countries who are willing to support the protection of the Amazon, because it is a matter that concerns everyone, uh, right? The, I mean, the Amazon was long considered the world's largest carbon sink, um, but now part of the scientists are saying that the forest emits more carbon dioxide than they can absorb. So this is this is a, a matter of urgency for everyone. So it has to be a, a joint effort. And I think the Amazon Fund is a very good environmental and political strategy. Yeah, I agree. And it's also to foster good faith 
between the global north and the global south because the global north can't claim global commons to all these resources that lie within the global south, particularly the Stygian history of the relationship between the global north and the global south and then not uh, pay for it. I mean, if it's a global resource that needs to be protected, then everyone needs to pay for that global resource because we all benefit globally. Absolutely. I now want to address the interconnection of all these problems that we've been discussing. So we've discussed how local conflicts in the Amazon and the destruction of the rainforest there affect the climate globally and also uh, produce products that go into global markets and are consumed all across the world. And this intersection is also across various issues, right? Environmental destruction, human rights abuses from the North and in the South. And it calls for holistic approaches. Um, as well as collaboration. What is the best practice of collaborating with organizations on the ground in the South, both to ensure that uh, organizations in the global North that then can affect what's happening in the global North with their own constituents there, the companies and uh, the public and their governments, but when they're collaborating with entities in the global South to ensure they're getting the right information from people on the ground, but also to not co-opt the mission of entities in the global south, to amplify their voices, to amplify their vision and support it on the global stage, but not co-opt it. How do you thread that needle? Yeah, this is this is a complex question, but but the as you're saying, everything is connected and global north corporations have to understand that they are responsible for analyzing their supply chain. Um, So we're speaking about multi-million dollar companies who are um, spending so much on advertisement, for instance, and they should start spending more on understanding their own supply chains. They have a responsibility. And this is actually um, a shared responsibility. um, The Global North companies are, they have to understand they are contributing to the violations, they are contributing to the deforestation if they insist on purchasing um, products from a certain region, if they do not understand and not do the the proper due diligence of uh, their supply chains. But it's also really important to mention that consumers have um, Uh, a a big responsibility there as well. Uh, And it's important that consumers understand what they are buying and what they are um, taking to their homes with them. Um, It's important that they um, go after companies, pressure um, Congress and um, politicians to... um, regulate um, um, transparency, for instance, uh, because we it's it's somehow sometimes really hard to track um, a soy supply chain, for instance. Um, so it's it's all very connected. And obviously, local governments are responsible for those who are um, who are directly violating the rights of land and environmental defenders, who are deforesting the forest. Um, but also governments in the global north, where these buyers 
large buyers are based, international companies, international traders are also responsible to hold these companies accountable because they are responsible um, and they should be responsible under um, a legislation as well. Um, so it's it's really important. It's really interesting to think about um, the connection between the drivers and why uh, there are so many um, killings of land and environmental defenders, or why the forestation is so um, rates are so high. So the key drivers, as we were saying along our um, in, during our conversation are mining and uh, extractivist um, um, activities, agribusiness, logging, etc. And why this is happening is mainly because of land inequality, violent conflicts, corruption, shrinking of civic space, and corporate impunity. So corporate impunity is what is one of the reasons why we are allowing these drivers to um, destroy the forest and the lives of those who depend on it. Yeah, it's easy to do that when you're distant from it, right? So you have all these different actors down the chain and the people that are making the decisions that finance essentially this destruction are very far away from it and so don't feel um, the brunt of it and um, in fact they're very very close to it because they're actually causing it but I wanted to just go back to the partnership with local entities um, and uh, how how do we like for instance Global Witness partners with uh, numerous local organizations for uh, environmental justice in Brazil? Yes, um, Global Witness wouldn't be able to do anything by itself. Uh, so Global Witness has a very strong uh, network of local partners and Global Witness supports uh, the work of these local partners because our work is um, we are doing international advocacy and we are mostly working in the EU, in the UK, in the US. Um, so it's really important that we have good partners working, for instance, in Brazil who are doing proper advocacy in the Brazilian Congress and who are directly engaging with local communities and that we have a network of protection and of um, exchange of knowledge and work actually. Mm. Right. I mean, we really need that collaboration with people on the ground and to amplify their voices on the global stage. Um, and also we saw how particularly in Pará, we see the, uh, environmental destruction, the human rights abuses, commercial enterprise and conflicts all connected. And that nexus is pivotal to Global Witness's mission to expose that nexus. And I like that holistic approach because I don't think without collaboration or a holistic approach, we're ever really going to move forward because everything is so interconnected. Yeah, everything is interconnected. It is. It's really important, as we were saying. It's really important to um, to create spaces for those who are most affected by 
climate crisis, by deforestation, by threats, um, are the ones who have um, entitlement um, to to say something and to um, make decisions. So it's really important that we create space to enhance these people's voices. Um, without them and without partners, probably the Amazon wouldn't exist anymore. I agree. And lastly, how can our audience learn more and help? Um, I believe it's um, it's really important that the audience uh, follows um, Global Witness and Global Witness's work. Uh, follows the developments of um, legislative changes um, in the jurisdictions where they live at. Um, it's really important that they pressure their governments to um, and politicians who have been elected to um, to propose bills to hold corporations accountable. It's really important that we as consumers, as individual consumers, are aware of what we're buying. And it's really important that uh, we understand that we can influence uh, change somehow. Um, I wanted to actually uh, say something about uh, Global Witness's mission, which I think it makes sense um, to finalize our conversation, um, I think our ultimate goal is obviously to end attacks and killings of land and environmental defenders um, and to address this, the roots and the causes of these attacks um, and to, wo to work around, uh, towards this goal. We have to raise awareness of the issues uh, with global decision makers, amplify defenders' voices and support their campaigns and adv advocacy strategies. Um, so it's it's really important that listeners um, try to think about how they can um, influence global decision makers. If it is speaking to um, a group of people who will stop buying from this specific brand or that will will send a letter to an, another specific brand or will pressure Congress. And um, another really important goal of Global Witness is to end this flow of money to reckless businesses who enable destruction of the forests, such as the Amazon forest and the communities and biodiversity that rely on them. Yeah. So it's really important that governments and international organizations adopt these regulations that respect and protect environmental defenders and bring these perpetrators to justice. I agree. Thank you so very much, Gabriela, for your time and your insights on this very important topic. Thank you so much, Alexandra. It was a pleasure to be here and I'm, I'm really happy we could be speaking about these important topics and about the protection of the Amazon. I hope you have found this podcast insightful and will join us next time as we explore more issues affecting our environment and human rights at home and around the world.
For more materials on this issue, please go to our website, thegravity.fm.